Well, one of the reasons and one of the people that has led the charge against e-cigarettes is our good old friend, Dr. Stanton Glantz from the Center for Tobacco Control Research and Education from UCSF. Guy, if you were able to apply just a few words to describe the mendacity, if you believe there is mendacity uh, with Dr. Glantz, you know, who is he and, and what's the news today? Stanton Glantz is um, an academic whose, prior, whose career was mainly based on the hatred of people who made different lifestyle choices than him, a falsification and manipulation of data, manipulation of the media to serve his private um, political prejudices, and hopefully uh, this will be the end of his career and the world of science, um, the world of harm reduction, and consumers will be better off for the lack of his presence, uh, which was a pernicious one that held sway for many decades and was given far too much credence during his life. And hopefully um, after his life, people will recognize um, quite what a vicious fraudster he was. Um, and we saw some of this last year, you know, a. Uh, the retraction of a paper he had with, uh, a, you know, embarrassingly weak evidence trying to claim that e-cigarettes cause heart attacks. I think the same will happen with a paper he published earlier this year. And that's not to mention these uh, allegations of sexual misconduct uh, made against him. So um, it, it's, it's, it's a good thing that he is no longer at UCSF. Um, I can only speculate, but I doubt it was voluntary. Um, but uh, so it's a it's a good day uh, what, during this dark cloud that has been the PMTA deadline day. There is a silver lining that um, one of the people who has been just such a uh, unbelievably, you, you know, pernicious influence in this debate um, is no longer going to have an official position at an American university. Yeah, I mean, we're talking tens of millions of dollars of government funding. I mean, he was the king of tobacco funding. Um, but though he's got a lot of people he's trained over the years. Yes, that is true. And there will no doubt be people willing to take up the mantle uh, of, of uh, Stanton Glance's profession. It's, uh, it's highly profitable. Uh, to uh, get involved in crusades against products that people enjoy. Uh, there will always be people willing to fund that, whether privately or whether getting government grants. Um, I think one of the most prominent is um, Bonnie Halpern-Felscher um, uh, from Stanford, who seems to be taking on uh, Stanton Glantz's uh, mantle uh, she's been uh, testified before Congress. I've run into her in, you know, state committee hearings. Um, I believe she's in uh, child psychology or something like that, and um, ha has been a, a vigorous campaigner against e-cigarettes and tobacco harm reduction. Um, has a single-minded focus on essentially that you know anything that a child can do basically needs to be banned. That's as far as I can surmise her philosophy. Uh, when it comes to risk or when it comes to um, the, uh, the, the, the freedom of products to innovate. Um, 
and she recently had a paper uh, that came out and I believe it's a journal of adolescent health claiming that uh, vaping made you five to seven times more likely to get COVID if you were a young person. Um, this paper was literally debunked within minutes of publishing. And uh, I believe there's already been, um, I believe, uh, a, um, a publication in Kios critiquing the paper. I know one of my colleagues at Reason um, is sending a, a letter to uh, the editor uh, incredibly soon and will be doing work further work highlighting the flaws in that study, which are sort of beyond belief that it was published. I believe it was published in, in something like 14 days after submission and can't have been reviewed very thoroughly. Um, so hopefully that will be retracted, but it got an enormous amount of media coverage and was a typical glance-like paper um, with its uh, <laughs> <laughs> incredulous conclusions and, and uh, and uh, weak relationships and incredibly misinterpretation or willful uh, misinterpretation of uh, of data. So, so unfortunately, this will not be the end. There are many people who, you know, will, you know, be able to uh, put spin things in whatever they, they in whatever ways they want to serve their 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 anti anti e-cigarette agenda. And I'm afraid I think Bonnie's probably probably falls into that category. And might be more competent at it too at the moment. Now, the fact of the matter is though, is that while Stanton Glantz has said he's retiring, I hear the scuttlebutt is, is that he's getting a cabinet position in the Biden administration. <laughs> That's where all the communists are going. <laughs> well, um, I don't think it would quite fit in with the, uh, uh, the, uh, the 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 Me Too uh, uh, Me Too friendly presidency that uh, Joe Biden wishes to usher in. So I don't think a a, uh, a person of glance's character will be invited uh, anytime soon there. No matter what uh, the the scuttlebutt is on the side streets there, <laughs> there Brent. So I'm I'm hoping that uh, we will have seen largely the back of Stanton Glance who. Um, but I imagine there he'll have a few more things out before uh, before he's done. Uh, most of which I imagine will focus on the marijuana industry. It's been an increasing focus of his, uh, uh, decrying the legalization of marijuana. Um, so I, I imagine you know this might be the the end of his main period um, as a you know crusader um, against the choices of others. But um, it won't be totally the last we've heard from him. Yeah. Well, and that is. Uh... That is sad. And his legacy uh, will remain long past him. It was his research uh, that delivered the uh, secondhand smoke decision, you know, through public health and then in, in, in the public that gave the right, you know, that very first real move for government to be able to remove people's individual rights. And, you know, and that research has appeared to be completely, totally bollocks too as well. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the second... Hold on, so let's be very careful here. I am doubting the secondhand smoke research. Does that make me a crazy conspiracy no, person? No, absolutely not. And, and, and for those who are interested in this topic, uh, Jacob Greer wrote a wonderful article for Slate. Um, I believe this was a year or two ago, uh, outlining the, uh, the history of this. And, you know, for those who follow this, we've long known that... Yes, of course, secondhand smoke can it can it can be harmful. There is, um, you know, you know, exhaling cigarette smoke and lots of it in confined spaces, and you're breathing it in is not good for you and does not have zero effect. 
But the problem with a lot of the secondhand smoke claims was things that I was taught in school, Brent. For instance, I was taught in high school that secondhand smoke is worse than inhaling mainstream smoke. Wow. Um, and you were told that, you know, you are secondhand smoke is, you know, even if you're exposed to it, just, you know, very generally, you can contract cancer. And that's just, you know, the evidence was wildly overstated. It was massively overstated, uh, one of which from a Stanton Glance paper. And of course, by there was a total scandal with uh, um, uh, two scientists, Ernstrom and Cabot, who were undertaking a study on secondhand smoke for the American Heart Association, I, uh, I believe it was, um, who did a major big epidemiological study on this. And they started to find that basically they could find no major detectable effect um, on cancer outcomes. from. And that was smoke. happening in real time while things nope. were... It was happening, and th but then their funding was pulled by the American Cancer Society. And so the only way they could finish the study is they got some money from the tobacco industry who funded the rest of the study. And then when the study came out, its conclusions were totally slammed as, you know, being big industry funded, you know, whatever. Right, but, but right. the conclusions before, every time there has been a major epidemiological study of secondhand smoke, the, the first major ones we had in the 1980s, I believe came from Japan, when they looked at uh, um, non-smoking wives and smoking husbands and tried to isolate right. the effect of secondhand smoke. And that appeared to show some effect. But then every time we did more studies on this, the effect got less and less and less and less and less and, and appeared to not be really a major problem. And exactly as you say, the secondhand smoke argument was used as a battering ram for all sorts of infringements on the liberties of business owners, on the liberties of consumers. Because of course, I would agree as a good libertarian, if you are causing a harm to me, then you should, you know, and I'm not participating in the activity, you know, you should pay a price for it or so on. But we were, we were told that, oh, you know, bar owners can't even allow smoking in their own bars. It's their own bar. And you can't even go in there as a patron and say, well, I want to go into a smoky bar. That's my choice. Because we're told, well, then the employees of the bar suffer that. Um, and we had a whole suite of labor laws, you know, introduce on this, that even if you want to be a bar that allows smoking or vaping or whatever, you can't because of your employees. So it, w it was on the manufacturer of this mythical employee who can only get a job in a smoky bar uh, that then has to be protected from the rest of us who might want f uh, freedom of choice. This, this invented person who doesn't exist. Uh, for their safety, for their safety, the rights of everyone else needs to be infringed. Right, exactly, exactly. Well, the rights of a smoker obviously don't matter, and that was the battle. When you look at liberty in the United States, I see this as being like. I mean, there's no other example when you've got well, how many smokers were there? Had 50, 80 million, 90 million at the time, say two thousand or say nineteen ninety, when really the push happened. Two thousand and three is when the research came out. People forget that it's not that long ago that you were we were still allowed to smoke in bars and everything else. So, you know, as Ben Shapiro says, he goes, it's the waving your arms around rule, you know, the flailing your arms. I can flail my arms around all I want as long as I don't hit anybody with them. All right. And so that was the argument with secondhand smoke. You know, they tried and tried and tried and tried and tried. It wasn't until they could show that there was harm happening to other people that uh, that they could then, you know, come down the hammer on it. That's right, uh, because most people, even though they didn't like a lot of smoke around them and, uh, you know, a lot of businesses had 
you know, got rid of smoking in the workplace and so on. And that's totally fine. It's totally their decision. I have absolutely no no problem. Any private business totally has the right to ban smoking and say either go into a smoky area or or go outside or so on. You know, that doesn't bother me one way or the other. The problem was the government intervening um, and saying that nobody could uh, smoke in any bar for any reason. I mean, you know, it's... Um, you know, there, but for the grace of God, there are only a few cigar bars left in this country, really, where you can have a cigar, uh, uh, you know, which were which were a lot of times given exemptions from um, smoke free laws, uh, probably because of the clientele, uh, I suspect. But, um, but, you know, shows another sort of basic injustice. So you know the the argument, this is where the anti smoking, now the anti vaping movement, basically reversed as you're sort of alluding to the classic liberal John Stuart Mill harm argument, where John Stuart Mill says, you know, as long as I can have freedom over my choices and my body, so long as I don't hurt you. And that is totally, I think, correct. Uh, but that was exactly, as you say, the key for the anti-smoking movement. It was making everyone else think, it was like, oh, these people are hurting you. They're hurting you either by their secondhand smoke or they're hurting you by healthcare costs they're inflicting on you. That was the way to really demonize people, just as d- drug addicts have been demonized. You know, you know, and this is happening with smokers are basically second class citizens in the United States now. Um, and and that has been a long campaign and an explicit aim of the tobacco control movement, as they call it, a uh, um, you know denormalization in that you know awful you know yes. you know de- dehumanized language. Yes.